Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Hello and welcome to episode 104 of the Farm Traveler podcast. I am your host, Trevor Williams, and today on the show, we have Ryan Curtin, a.k.a. Pork Ryan which I think is the coolest name on on Instagram. And he is a pork expert. He's an international swine educator, both here in the U.S. and in East Africa. He has gone to Uganda for a while to work with local farmers and teach them how to use pork or how to, how to raise pork and all that good stuff. And he's also kind of a local meat marketing expert here in the U.S. And Ryan and I are going to talk all things pork today in the podcast. It was really fun to kind of dive deep and learn more about pork. And um, really, Ryan's going to talk about why consumers here in the U.S. don't buy a lot of pork, how it fits into the food system, why we need to focus on eating higher quality pork, and how his background was actually kind of in um, environmentalism. And he noticed agriculture, started following it, and got involved in the agriculture industry and saw how important it is and how pork fits into the ag industry as a whole. So this was such a fun interview. Ryan is a great guy. We had an awesome interview. Um, so yeah, be sure to check him out. Uh, his Instagram and everything will be in the description of this show. And I know this is the first episode in two weeks. Last week, we actually missed an episode for the first time um, ever, which is fine. So Allie and I, we went on a quick little uh, vacation to St. Lucia for a quick little um, anniversary trip. And it was actually really fun. It was beautiful. It was supposed to rain the whole week, but it rained maybe a couple hours while we were there. The strangest things, though, uh, they had horses, goats, and cows literally on like the side of the road, but just like roped up, like not in fields or fencing areas. So it's kind of like a little culture shock, but it was really fun. We rode horses, which that was the first time I had ever ridden a horse, and I used to not get it, but now I get it. Um, my horse's name was Junior. And he was really chill. He was really fun. And um, if you play video games, I 
have played Red Dead Redemption 2, and you know, you're, you're, you're a cowboy in that game, and um, your character all the time is saying, come on, boy, and I was saying that the whole time, like, come on, boy, come on, Junior. Anyway, that was a blast. Uh, so yeah, this is episode 104 with Pork Rind, the pork expert. I hope you learn all things pork-related in this episode, and I will stop stalling and on with the interview. Ryan, a.k.a. Pork Ryan on Instagram, which I think is the coolest handle out there. Uh, how are you doing, man? Doing good, doing good. I uh, got some sleep last night, uh, was journaling until 2 a.m. this morning. and uh, Heck yeah. You know, just really grateful to be up and uh, be able to have a good reflective spirit to start my day off. And to talk about pigs. Heck I mean, yeah. Can't get any better than that. I get to talk about pigs to start my day. So super blessed, super blessed. Heck yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. All right, so real quick before I forget, I've been trying to get into journaling for like months and I've been trying to do it every morning and I plan, I've got it like a little reminder app on my phone. I'm like, all right, I'm going to do it once every weekday and I'll do it like once every three weeks. So how do you how do you make it kind of like a habit to start journaling more and more? I mean, that's kind of like a, a question because I'm always trying to journal. So for me, journaling is a part of my... Um, uh, recovery experience. So I'm a recovering addict, uh, yeah. and being able to journal allows for me to process uh, my experiences, my traumas, my guilt, my shames, insecurities. But also, it allows for me to kind of have a, a vision, be able to dreamcast some things that uh, God's calling in my life, and just trying to figure out how do I navigate through this. And it's mm-hmm. also a way for me to document like what I'm going through. So that way, uh, when I go back to journals that I wrote two years ago, which I actually do have, I think I've written uh, 12 journals so far. Um, nice. In a span of like two, three years. Um, and so I got plenty of material to go back and see like, oh, <laughs> the same questions I was having Two years ago, I'm having today. Um, And so there's a lot of humility in that. There's also a lot of grace that I get to experience in that. So, like, for you, my thing is, uh, you know, journal with purpose. Why do you even Mm -hmm. want to journal? Not that journaling's for everybody, but I do think when you're journaling, you do take that time to uh, process more so than, like, when you're in your head, um, it, it's a different experience. So when you're putting pen to paper, which is a, uh, a very old school way of doing things, I know we're embracing technology, um, but being able to sit with a, with a little light and just write out what's going on in life uh, really can be beneficial. But doing it with a purpose, uh, one recommendation I would make for anyone who wants to journal is talk about how you feel. I think oftentimes when people start journaling, they're just kind of like, journaling their day oh i ate breakfast today and it's really (laughs) it's really no better than like these these goofballs who post about eating breakfast on instagram or facebook you know it's not really any different um and that can be a starting point but start developing conversations while you're journaling about how you feel you know so instead of talking about eating breakfast how did eating breakfast make you feel Mm. you know what happened today and how did that make you feel in my recovery process, I learned that 
because I was numbing myself for so long, I wasn't really engaged and uh, had a strong connection with my feelings. And oftentimes I invalidated my own feelings um, in active addiction. And so being able to say, you know what, I'm going to write how I feel, not talk about my feelings and, and think about my feelings, but just simply express on paper, how do I feel? I feel angry today. I feel resentful today. I feel happy today. And here's why. And then like, once I start with the feeling, I can expand upon it. And I'm usually able to get a lot more clarity on what's going on in that situation, whether good or bad, um, and have more time to reflect and be grateful for the life that I do have. So that's my, my recommendation, my uh, encouragement to anyone who's thinking about journaling, uh, especially you, Trevor. So uh, yeah, get to journaling, man. It's, it's a lot of fun once you start getting in the rhythm of it. Yeah, man. I mean, that's good advice. And I mean, to be honest, I, I'll just write down like, oh, today was a good day. I did this. I need to work on that. But I think that was a good idea of like journaling with purpose, because I feel like you get to know yourself and you get to know. I mean, also, like you said, it, you get to put pen to paper and you get to actually write down and see what you're thinking, see what's going through. And so, yeah, I mean, every time I do it after I'm done, I'm like, you know, what? I feel a little bit better now. So I'm going to try to I'm going to take your words of advice and try to do it a little bit more. But we'll see how that goes. So you're a pork expert, and I'm excited to talk with you about pork, swine, all that, because I feel like we, Americans, we don't eat pork as much as we could or should. I mean, really, it's bacon, and that's pretty much it. So how did you get involved with pork in the swine industry? I know you go to, like, um, on your Instagram, you're saying you go to South Africa or East Africa, and you help educate people on swine. So how did you get involved in the whole world with swine? Uh, we only have an hour for this. <laughs> it's just like, how do I condense the last five, six years of my life into like five minutes? Uh, so, you know, I'll, I'll give a quick, uh, I guess, synopsis. So my first love was the environmental sciences. Even mm. as a small child, I loved being out in nature. Um, I loved, you know, exploring, you know, trail walking. That was my pastime. And it really allowed for me to connect with myself in a deeper way. Um, it was a part of a we being able to escape. And so, you know, kind of fast forward, I'm learning all these things. I'm really dedicated towards the environmental movement. I'm dedicated towards the environmental sciences, biologies, and had a passion for that. But I liked animals. I really, really liked animals. I liked how animals played a dynamic role within every, um, every ecosystem. You know, all healthy ecosystems, for the most part, have animals. And so I was just enthralled. I was like, oh my God, I, I can tell you about every single animal. You show me a picture. I'm like, oh, I know what that is. Because I'm like, <laughs> watch National Geographic, Animal Planet, Discovery Channel every single day. Like well, as a kid, those were my jams. Um, and so, you know, in the environmental movement, uh, in environmental sciences or environmental movement, we talk a lot about how agriculture, for the most part, has been destructive. Uh, not regenerative, but destructive. So we're talking about eutrophications of our streams, which basically like strong algae blooms that choke out wildlife, uh, you know, oceanic dead zones. Um, one good example in America is the uh, Gulf of Mexico. Uh, we can talk about soil erosion, uh, uh, la lack of um, wildlife habitation, habitation uh, through deforestation. 
You know, so there are a lot of different things. And that's that's just the basics of we're not even talking about the chemicals and pesticides and all that. And so, you know, I ended up transferring to North Carolina AT, which is a land grant university, HBCU, Aggie Pride. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we we I was a part of their animal science program because I, you know, maybe thinking about doing something in the animal industry. I didn't realize that animal science was a um, a component of agriculture. Like, it just didn't click until I got there. But when I was there, uh, my associate dean, who's a good friend of mine now, uh, talked about how agriculture is not just farming, but it's economics, right? It's not mm-hmm. just farming, but it's, it's, it's policymaking. You yeah. know, it encompasses everything that we do as a civilization. I tell people that, you know, not that long ago, we were killing people for farmland. Mm-hmm. You know, even if you think about the indigenous folks um, within this country, how we were wiping out populations for their land to farm, to settle on, you know. And so being able to understand that uh, agriculture is the point of civilization. Without agriculture, you can't have civilization. Usually thriving economies and thriving nations have a very strong ability to acquire resources, right? And feeding your people is the biggest resource that you can provide. And so it was this big connect the dot for me. And I just fell in love with being able to connect all the dots of agriculture. But I felt conflicted because I was like, oh, but environmentalism and environmental sciences, like, I feel like I'm cheating on her, you know? Um, And so what Mm -hmm. ended up happening was I decided to take a... Um, a year out of school to actually find an opportunity that would marry the two together. I really feel like um, in our agricultural economy that oftentimes our practices are divorced from uh, the spirit of the land, so to speak. Uh, I really do believe that, uh, you know, when it comes to animal agriculture, that a lot of our animals are divorced from the land to an extent. And so being able to find something that is a culmination of the two, regenerative agriculture, is where I end up finding myself. So I've raised every edible livestock. Um, You know, I've even done a a grade A raw dairy operation and managed that um, during my time out of school. Uh, And it allowed for me to really explore different options in terms of what I liked to work with and what I didn't. And uh, the, the one animal I hated the most was pigs. I, I really I, yeah i hated pigs because they were so stubborn so mm. stubborn oh my god so stubborn oh jeez, you know and they they challenged me and what i didn't realize at the time is that i was arrogant i didn't have any i really didn't have a lot of humility in me and pigs brought that out for me it showed me that I'm prideful, that and that I need to be humble. And I think that's that's God's way of using pigs is it humbles a man when you work with pigs because you realize how not in control you are. You know, I can pick up a chicken. I can even pick up a sheep and a goat. I can't pick up a cow, but cows are usually a little bit more easy to kind of maneuver around. Oh, yeah. When it, when it comes to pigs, if they don't want to move, they're not going to move. Just simple as that. You can't move <laughs> pigs. I've tried and failed. It just doesn't work. Um, and so, you know, I remember the the one breaking point for me was uh, 
we had a sow. Her name was Louise. She was a uh, heritage breed, English large black. Uh, definitely check those out. Um, go to the Livestock Conservancy. They got plenty of information on that. Um, and also check out English large or large black hog association. They got plenty of breeders if you're interested in that breed. Uh, so uh, her name was Louise. She's probably like eh, somewhere between 600, 700 pounds. And she was breaking out of all our infrastructure. I had a, a day off from the farm and uh, they had to call me because she would just kept breaking out of this and that. And so I come back and I'm like, okay, Louise, we got to get it together, girl. Come on, come on. So then I put her in um, one of our isolation pens and was able to, you know, get her settled in, gave her some food, made sure she had some water. And I thought, okay, everything's great. She's got plenty of green grass. Everything's fine. You know, and so we had one of these, like, uh, chain link gates uh, for chain link fence. You've probably seen those. And, uh, you know, I knew one of the sides was just a little, a little, a little questionable, but not too questionable. Uh, and so I locked her in and uh, it's like, okay, things are good. We're fine. And so I start walking, thinking that I was going to enjoy the rest of my day. And something said, turn around. And I turned around <laughs> and I see Louise and she's looking at me. Now, English large blacks, they have really floppy ears. So you can't really even see their eyes, but you know they're looking at you. And so she's looking at me and she's right at the gate. And I was like, ah, everything's fine. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. <laughs> and so I keep walking, keep walking. And I was like, you know what? Turn around. And there she is, just staring at me. And I was like, oh, yeah, we're okay. We're okay. All right. Anyways, going back to my life. Keep walking, keep walking. I was like, you know what? Something just does not feel right. As soon as I turned around, I heard this belloping, like, scream. It, and hopefully this doesn't make people's ears bleed. But it went like this. And uh, she busted through the gate. And here's how she did it. So, like, pigs are very earthbound creatures. They're, they're more, they, they, they go under and up, where a lot of animals will go over and down. And so she ended up using her snout to lift the gate off of its hinges and skyrocket it 20 feet there. <laughs> Not even, it might have been 10, might have been, been 8. I, I, 20 feet sounds better, right? You know, she's, I mean, that thing skyrocketed into the air. And it flopped down, and you can see this this like triangular dent where her nose met one of the frames to that gate. It was insane. But then she comes over trotting, trotting, do 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 do. Look at Look what I did. I'm victorious, <laughs> and I broke down. I, I I was like, I'm so sick and tired of pigs breaking out of infrastructure, uh, always always causing problems for me, and. I don't know what to do. I, I literally didn't know what to do at that point. So, you know, but one thing I did know to do was I got down on one knee, looked Louise in the eyes with her floppy ears, grabbed her by the jaws. No, I did not propose to her. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, I said, you know what, Louise, I give up. I, but one thing that I do want to do is I hope to love you so hard that maybe I'll be able to understand you. And for me, that was my point of a spiritual awakening with pigs. 
um, and my journey to full humility um, was being able to actually accept that I'm powerless and I need to work with this pig, not against this pig. Uh, mm-hmm. And so from there, I became more interested and fascinated with pigs because I was spending more time. That's one thing that I teach farmers about is, you know, you got to develop this farmer's eye. I like to call it a farmer's eye, where it's not just oh, feed, water, shelter, but it's also all the context in between that. Using observational skills, right, to see, all right, so this animal, this particular animal is acting kind of funny. What's up with that? You know, and when you're using your observational skills a lot more, you're able to actually see when things are going wrong or even before things go wrong or fully wrong. Uh, And so I was sitting out in the pastures with a rusted old metal fold up chair and I just sat there and watched them. And you know that you're you really love pigs where you can just sit there and be entertained with pigs eating, (laughs) eating or grazing or rooting in the mud or um, swimming in the pond, whatever they're doing where it doesn't matter. You're just so enthralled by them being them, you know? Mm-hmm. And so from there, I got an opportunity to, uh, you know, work with the National Pork Board um, through Pork Checkoff uh, and their Real Pig Farming Campaign, hashtag Real Pig Farming Campaign. Um, and I was the only person who was like representing niche pork and, and you know, regenerative agriculture in our group. You know, and I remember asking him, you know, like how, you know, I'm glad I'm here. You know, this is great. I'm getting paid for this. But like, how can I support the uh, the swine industry at large? And I didn't ask that from a um, self-righteous uh, standpoint. I genuinely asked, you know, like, how can I help? How can I be of service? Because I don't think that uh, uh, farmers who farm with some of these big companies that are pig farmers are necessarily evil. Um, you know, there's a lot of context as to why they mm-hmm. do what they do. A lot of it comes down to legacy. A lot of it comes down to debt, inherited debt even. Um, and, you know, it, that just kind of incorporates a lot of that. Also, the, the system works for them to an extent. Uh, and so, you know, one thing that they said to me was just make sure that whatever you do, that you essentially respect us. You know, just make sure that as you're talking about pig farming, that you're able to communicate that we're not evil, that we're not trying to hurt our pigs or abuse our pigs. And so that was a really good good opportunity for me because being able to work with them allowed for me to glean information from the uh, commercial uh, pig industry, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, because with regenerative agriculturalists, like, I love y'all, I love y'all, I love y'all, I love y'all, but... When we look at the triple bottom line, which is talking about uh, not just economic prosperity, but also environmental stewardship and uh, community engagement uh, or community equity, we're really good about the environmental and the community aspect, but we are so poor about to use my middle finger. We're so poor in um, <laughs> the uh, uh, NRA um, uh, understanding of, of profitability. Oftentimes mm-hmm. we neglect that. And that's part of the reason why uh, we have a high farmer turnover. Uh, and so that's a real issue within regenerative agriculture. We love to preach about, oh, how everything's romantic and we're, we're having fun and, and I'm loving the earth. Look at me kiss my soil, you know, and my animals. And look at me sell at farmer's markets. But within five years, you fail. Like, 
that's not cute, you know? And for a lot of people, they go into debt to do that. And so, you know, as me, someone who is now debt-free as of two months ago, uh, I, it's a real passion of mine to get people to understand what it looks like to have a profitable enterprise, a profitable farm. And that's a lot of what I educate over the last uh, three years. Um, I've been an agriculture educator for at least five to six years. But the past three years, it's really been focused on profitability and be, having common sense approaches to um, operating your enterprises. So as we move to like my work in East Africa, I will say like working with Port Chekhov and the Real Pig Farming Campaign allowed for me to see the importance of efficiency, the importance mm. of scale, and the importance of understanding your markets, right? And from there, I was able to glean that information and bring it back to our folks in regenerative agriculture. A lot of regenerative pig farmers or people will say, oh, these guys are evil. We don't want anything to do with them. My product's better than their product. And, and my thing about that is have humility. Have humility, right? You don't know why they're doing what they're doing. You don't know how they got there, right? You don't know what they're trying to protect. But what I can say is have humility. Don't talk about how their product's terrible and this and that. Talk about how you have a good product. You don't need to put other people down to bolster yourself, right? That's, mm -hmm. not, that's not nice, right? But we have a lot of people in our space that will often do these things of, well, in order to, to make myself look good, I got to tell how everyone else is horrible. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's not, that's not nice. And what it does is it creates this kind of like clan mentality of, uh, well, I'm on this side and they're on that side, you know, but the beauty about what I do is I work with everybody because I love people, not an idea, right? I'm in love with people, not this, this idea of what, what should be done, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, when I go to East Africa, I'm not dealing with regenerative pig farmers. I'm, I'm educating pig farmers in their context. And in their context, a lot of them are raising pigs in concrete floors with concrete walls, uh, very low tech, very, very low tech, you know, and I'm showing them how to thrive, how to be profitable within that context. That helped break me of this, this ideology that um, regenerative pasture-raised pig farming is the only raise, way to raise pigs. And now I'm like, no, it's not. It's not. Now, can we argue that it's one of the better ways of raising pigs? I would still say it depends. Mm. It depends on context. You know, I think that anyone can raise a superior pig given the right nutritional requirements, given the proper feed um, for additional flavor, and given the proper uh, attentive to health, right? Attentive to, to needs of water, biosecurity, stuff like that. Now, you know, is some people's part going to be better than others? Yeah, but guess what? This isn't, we're not all playing in a global economy like uh, commercial ag is. We're all in a very small local niche economy for most of us. And so being able to say like these pig farmers in East Africa, you got a good product. I'm not comparing them to what Joel Salton is doing. I'm telling them that within their context, they have a good product, right? Mm -hmm. There is no market for regenerative pork per se in East Africa, right? But there is market for healthy pork or clean pork, play a market for that. And so that's what I focus on when I'm over there. 
And so as an educator, I always tell people that uh, to be a good educator, you, while you're educating people, you also need to be learning. And so while I was educating them, I was learning a whole lot about their context, about their culture, and that allowed for me to create uh, advice, not mandates, but advice, give suggestions on proper ways, better ways uh, for them to be able to raise their pigs. I do try to implement some regenerative practices when I talk with them, like how to utilize uh, pig manure, right, for fertility. Mm -hmm. A lot of them understand that concept, but also uh, adding forage to their diet. You know, mm. uh, I was teaching people, you know, like, hey, y'all know y'all can, you know, feed pigs vegetation and stuff like that. And some of them were kind of like, like, what do you what do you mean? <laughs> Are you sure? Are you sure about that? Yeah. Like, really? And so I was like, oh, you don't believe me. Oh, oh OK. I, I got you. I, I got you. Just, just watch. Just, just watch. So in, in most of the places I go, there are a lot of uh, banana plantations and stuff like that. Uh, and so I literally got a banana leaf, just broke it off the, the tree, and we uh, we were doing like consultation visits at the a pig farm. And so normally when I do my visits, uh, it's a classroom setting at first where we're going over back to basics, mm -hmm. uh, very simple approaches. And then uh, we also will go to a place that has a farm and the whole village will come and watch me do a consultation um, for that pig farmer. Right. And so got, got a piece of banana leaf off, walked over to the pig pen. I, I waved it over where the pigs were. I looked at them, uh, looked at the audience and said, now watch this. Threw that banana leaf into the pig pen. And, you know, the pigs looked at it for a second. Like, <laughs> what's this new thing? Exactly. And so, uh, you know, after after like two seconds, they all started like mobbing over that one banana leaf. <laughs> you know, um, you can hear all kinds of sounds of them. And it, it was kind of chaotic for probably 10 seconds. But after that, you could hear a particular sound. And it, it went like this. And I, I was like, guys, listen, shh, shh, listen. You hear that sound? You, you hear that? That's the sound of a happy pig right there. <laughs> a satisfied, happy pig. There you go. Exactly. And so when they saw that, oh, I can feed pigs, forage, vegetation, and that actually increases their micro and macronutrients. It adds fiber to their diet, which allows for there to be some leniency in terms of feed costs. Um, so if anyone's raising pigs, y'all know that feed is really the most expensive part. Feed can be mm -hmm. somewhere between 60 to 75% of your expenses as a pig, pig farmer with a pig enterprise. Uh, and so being able to have a strong handle on that is really important. Uh, so with pigs, when you're adding more vegetation to their diet, that allows for you to kind of cut down your feed costs a little bit um, and, or significantly, depending on what kind of system you have uh, and what kind of um, pigs you have. So like with sows and breeding stock, they don't need high percent protein. Their protein needs are like around 10%, you know, protein, crude protein. Uh, so if you're feeding pig, if you're feeding your breeding stock, 18% protein, crude protein, or even 15% crude protein, stop, stop. Soybeans, and this is from American context. Uh, if it was in East Africa, we would say soya. Uh, but soybeans are the most expensive ingredient, protein 
is the most expensive ingredient in pick beans, mm. which is normally soybean. So the more you can reduce that protein level, the cheaper your feed usually is. And so being able to add more fiber into your breeding stocks diet allows for you to cut that feed cost, even if you're using 15, 18% protein, just because it's convenient. Um, you know, and so they don't need super massive amounts of protein or uh, grain feed because their feed conversion actually goes down as they get older, you know, but their ability to digest fibers, forage goes up the older that they get. So this is why making more uh, of an area towards forage for breeding stock is really important um, in reducing your feed costs. So that's a quick tidbit. But anyways, you know, being able to go to Uganda, I'm learning all these things. I'm educating people at the same time. And, you know, I've been doing that for the last, uh, I've gone to Uganda and uh, Tanzania or Tanzania, if you got a Southern accent, um, for three years now. I'm considering maybe going back uh, this summer, still debating that. But uh, it's really nice being able to do that because then I get to come back with a simplistic approach towards education. You know, when I'm over there, I can't talk about detailed science because I'm using an interpreter. I got to keep it simple. And so when I'm bringing all that back, I find more simple approaches towards complex problems for pig farmers and really any livestock farmer. Uh, So I've moved from, you know, the whole, here's how you raise pigs on pasture to here's how you become a profitable badass. (laughs) There you go. in, in your niche field of meat, you know? So I, I like to consider myself a niche meat, local meat uh, marketing expert. Uh, I've been able to help uh, thousands of farmers on Instagram and several farmers um, through consultations uh, towards finding simple ways, efficient ways, um, and manageable ways of, you know, running and sustaining uh, their pig enterprises. Um, so yeah, I, that was a long explanation to that one question. That was a perfect, um, perfect explanation and a perfect answer, though. So that's perfect. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, that's such a good mindset, though. I mean, whenever you went to Uganda to teach people about pork, you weren't just teaching them. You were also learning from them and then bringing it back here and then teaching people here what you learned or kind of simplifying your approach. And that's such a good mindset because, I mean, you're you're always open for new information wherever you're going because, I, I mean... I wasn't in your shoes, but I can guarantee you those farmers over there in East Africa were doing things that you could easily tell farmers here in the U.S. to do. I mean, were there any examples of that? Some examples I think are important are, you know, their ability to find alternatives was really important. And that's Mm. something that I think a lot of uh, uh, pig farmers, regenerative pig farmers especially here, don't often realize is that, you know, when you have limited access to acreage, how to still be able to provide um, fiber, extra nutrients into their diet. Uh, Oftentimes I'll say, you know, if you got a grocery store, uh, you know, go, go ask for all their old vegetables, you know, say, Hey, I got to, I'll put a bin outside and just dump all your, all your vegetables and produce scraps you know, and, and I'll take them from you. And that actually allows for the pigs to have a healthier diet rather than it just being corn and soy. You know, they're Mm -hmm. having a variety of different foods. And again, fat is where the flavor is at. Um, And so being able to incorporate more forage uh, allows for people to actually uh, have a more flavorful pork 
because it's not just this kind of mono mono type of fat flavor, but you have a diversity of fat flavors at large. I think that's number one. The other thing is um, their ability to really, and this is kind of a double-edged sword, but their ability to really uh, stress pigs in the right manner. You know, mm. sometimes it's a science uh, and some people don't like stress, stress your pigs. Why would you ever do that? But you do it with the breeding stock. You want to be able to create uh, levels of, of healthy stress. So like I'm on a keto diet and we talk about, you know, fasting and how that's uh, causing stress, but it's not causing too much stress. It's causing just enough stress uh, to uh, kick your uh, metabolism into keto, uh, ketogenics. And so with pigs, you know, you don't, especially breeding stock, you don't want them to be glorified fat hogs, right? You want them to be able to survive uh, mildly stressful uh, situations. So if I limit their feed a little bit or, um, you know, and like out of the group of 10, which ones are going to do the best on a limited feed diet, right? And you start seeing some of them, oh, wow, that, that one's looking slim, the other one's looking slim. But I got, I got five of them that actually still holding on weight, looking good. And so then you know that, okay, so what I'll do is I'll mark the five that weren't doing well on a limited feed diet. And I'll mm. keep the five that were doing well on a limited feed diet. And I'll, I'll let that be an additional foundation to my breeding stock. You know, I want genetics that are going to thrive off minimum inputs. You know, and one thing about regenerative farming that I've noticed is we want to we want to do everything and have the best of everything. And really, you, you don't necessarily need the best of everything. You know, you can stress your breeding stock just enough to where you're getting better genetics, you know, figuring out better traits. Uh, and so again, it's that farmer's eye using observational skills um, that are really important. I like that. That's good advice. So, so what ex I know everybody's going regenerative. Uh, consumers are wanting more regenerative raised meats and produce and stuff like that. So what exactly would constitute a regenerative pork farm? I mean, obviously, you're going to do things like a healthy diet, I'm sure there's no perfect answer for this and everybody's trying to figure it out. So what exactly would be a good regenerative pork farm? Oh, man. I'm going to get crucified <laughs> for this. Uh, so disclaimer, I I'm, uh, some would say I'm an authority in the regenerative movement, especially when it comes to pigs. Uh, but here's what I'll say. Do it, it, contextual. Again, I teach from a context standpoint. Right. So what works for one farm doesn't work for another farm. Mm -hmm. Right. There's a, and for example, there's a farm out in Nevada. I believe it's in Nevada and, uh, you know, Las Vegas area, stuff like that. They acquire all the restaurant food scraps from the uh, entertainment industry in Las Vegas and feed their pigs. Now, if you've ever been to Nevada, it's a desert. It's a straight up desert. Honestly, sometimes I'm like, why did they, why are pigs even being raised out there? But that's their way of having regenerative or sustainable practices, you know? And so within their context, that is regenerative, so to speak, you know? Um, do I, I like that? Not really, but I give them a kudos because they're doing something that's needed. Um, mm -hmm. You know, within a traditional understanding of what regenerative pig farming is, uh, air quoting all that. Um, it's, 
you know, raising pigs on pasture and feeding them non-GMO organic feed and um, rotating them through paddocks, you know, and selling out a farmer's market. That's basically what regenerative pig farming looks like on a very simplistic general uh, conversation. Now, here's how I like to disrupt that conversation. You know, uh, I first tell people that pigs are not pasture animals. And some people honestly either get upset or dumbfounded when I say that, you know, but you got to look at the, the, what a pig actually is. And so all of our breeding stock, all, all the, the, the breeds that we have derived from the Eurasian wild boar. Now, the Eurasian wild boar does not live on pastures or meadows. They live in forest areas at, at, the, at the base silvopasture type environments. You know, but most of it's deep forest. Um, they like being in the shade because they get heat exhaustion very quickly. You know, mm. so they like being in thick, covered in areas. And so, you know, all these people who are like, oh, well, you know, and I get these, I get this question so much, like, how can I raise my pig only on pasture, you know, doing this and doing that? And like, why put that pressure on you? You know, unless unless you have no forested area, that's one thing. But if you have forest, utilize that. You know, utilize your pigs in the forest just as well as in what opens areas of land that you have as well. You know, because again, pigs are forest animals, not pasture animals. They're not cows, sheep, goats. You know, um, and so being able to have people first understand that kind of breaks their conception of having this legalistic form of what regenerative pig farming looks like. And that's what I like to do. I like to break down legalism. As someone who is extraordinarily legalistic, um, I know what legalism looks like. And so it's my personal job to call it out when I see it and also show people that, you know, hey, even if. If your practice is, let's say I can't, let's say you can't afford non-GMO feed because non-GMO feed is expensive. You know, let's say you're not at that scale or at that profitability where you can afford non-GMO and all you can really afford is conventional feed, which, you know, the problem with that, that people talk about is uh, the glyphates that's, that are in there from when they're getting sprayed, um, you know, and how that goes into the pig and then inevitably goes into us, Right. That's the main concern about that, um, you know, but if you can't even afford to buy non-GMO feed, then here's what I have to say. Buy some conventional feed, but definitely have a alternative feed program, a strong alternative feed program where you're finding other uh, sources of protein, other sources of, of fiber, uh, other sources for carbohydrates and utilize that. Um, you know, and I, me personally, I would say if you're doing that and you're raising pigs on the land in one manner or another, and you're being a good steward of raising animals on the land, there are some of these jokers out here. Okay, I promise I won't call anybody out or, <laughs> or cuss anybody out. There are some of y'all, some some jokers on here, uh, out here raising pigs, calling themselves regenerative, and you look at their land and it's nothing but a dirt lot. Don't you dare call yourself regenerative on a dirt lot. Okay, anyways, you know, again, that's me being legalistic, so I want to yeah. recant what I just said, um, you know, but that's the thing is, is there also needs to be good land management practices. So if you're experiencing like the dirt lot syndrome on your mm -hmm. properties uh, consistently, perpetually, you know, 
put wood chips down, right? Don't let your soil erode away. That's not cool, right? Put thick layers of wood. Ask your county, all wood, all the wood chips. Give me all the wood chips. You know, ask the neighboring county, give me all the wood chips. How many wood chips you need to cover that land? You want to make sure that you protect the soil, right? That's mm-hmm. really, really important. And so implementing even strategies like that, uh, in my opinion, will allow for me to feel confident saying, this is a regenerative pig farmer. Um, you know, at the least, you're sustaining the land. But I got people who disagree with me. You know, I, I think the more important story is saying that forget the labels. They're going to change anyway. When, you know, at first it was organic. Then that got greenwashed. Now it's regenerative. And that's actually, there are a lot of corporations that are now using the word regenerative in their lingo now. And so that's going to get greenwashed, right? So it doesn't matter what new term you come up with. Stop living under labels. Now, mm-hmm. can you utilize labels for your marketing? Hell yeah, sure can. But you don't have to live and die by them. It's more important that you are A, profitable, you are A, being a good steward of the land, and B, sorry, C, um, you know, treating people right. You do these three things within your context, I call you a good pig farmer. I, I don't need a regenerative or organic or non-GMO. I don't need any of those labels. Absolutely don't. I'm more concerned about whether or not you are treating your pigs right, you are treating yourself right uh, through your business, through your time management, uh, and that you're treating your community and your land uh, just as equally right with the same amount of respect. Um, so that's that's it for me. If we can have respect across all spectrums, I don't care. I don't care what label you put on it. So <laughs> I like that. It's kind of like... I like that because kind of like what you said, like the labels are always changing. It was free range, then it was organic, then it's going to be non-GMO. Like it's always changing. But as long as you're, as long as you're just focusing on the livestock, the the environment, and your people, you'll be good. And I had an animal science professor at UF, and he was saying how we kind of live in the Disney generation where we think livestock and animals all live in fields; they're all happy. And I didn't even know that pigs aren't um, good for a field; like they're good for forest animals. But it makes sense because. I guess it's what Europe where they have um, pigs go and look for truffles in the woods because they live there. They know the truffles. So, I mean, that makes sense. But it's funny because we just have this misconception that all livestock, even pigs, need to be out in the field when even in reality, that's not the best place for pork. So the more you know. Yeah, the more you know. And, you know, if people have like field and forest. I always say, you know, make your, your, cause most people will use like two strand electric, uh, poly wire or netting. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, you know, with your, 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 your paddock set up, have some of it go into the forest and some of it go out into the field, you know, utilize both those spaces. Um, because there are a lot of, uh, forest area that there aren't, it's not really doing a whole lot cause it's covered with leaf litter. Right. Mm-hmm. But by disturbing that leaf litter, you're able to, uh, revitalize that forest, give it some new life. Um, you know, especially if you do very minimum impact for the forest, that allows for vegetation that you didn't even know exists to start growing there. Or you can seed it with your own preferred crops or preferred um, um, uh, foraging, you mm-hmm. know. But I, I think going back to what you're saying and what I was saying earlier, the issue with, with these labelings is, uh, for me, I think the root of it is shame. 
I, I see a yeah. lot of people who are who don't want to be living in shame or are ashamed of how they're doing practices. There's and there's a difference between like doing the best you can with what you have and, and earnestly and truly actually doing the best you can. There's some of y'all who think you are and really you kind of not, and you know you're not, but that's okay. Um, but for those who really are doing the best that they can, um, I don't want them to feel ashamed for not being able to be like Joel Salton, right? You know, but it's really easy to start feeling shame. And I say this as someone who lived in a whole lot of shame. Uh, it's really easy to live in shame when you're comparing yourself to someone else, right? You know, the outsides of others never match the inside of me, right? You know, and so when I'm when I'm always constantly comparing myself to an idol, you know, then I'm never going to live up to that standard. And when I try to, I'm not happy. Right. And so I want to be able to to all my farmers out there be able to say, no matter what you're doing, be free. Get rid of the labels that are binding you or enslaving you, uh, whether it's, you know, a marketing label or whether it's the labels you got on yourself. The labels that your family put on you, the labels that your friends put on you, the labels that the government puts on you, whatever that looks like for you, get rid of all those labels. You don't have to be a victim. You don't have to live in shame. You know, keep doing what you're doing and just do it to the best of your ability. And honestly, sometimes being good enough is better than being perfect. And what do I mean by that? Um, as an imperfect perfectionist, uh, you know, I, I've had to come to terms that I have limitations, but I was made with limitations and that's okay. My limitations show me what I need to prioritize. My limitations actually give me the opportunity to invite other people into my space to help me. Right. So I'm, I'm building community and fellowship through that, through by learning and giving, um, don't just learn and not give. You know, by learning and giving to other people who are helping me out, you know, and so when we're able to do that, then we're not living in the constraints of somebody else's idealism. We get to figure out what ideal looks like for us, you know, and that's not just in farming. That's also in your personal life. That's also in your marriages, you know, and so start thinking about what does the ideal look like for me and is my ideal healthy? If I'm feeling miserable, sad, depressed, trying to live up to it, how can I change what I'm doing, my approach? Do I need to change my approach towards farming, towards my life? Or do I need to change my ideal, right? Sometimes it's the approach that is the issue, right? Sometimes we got good ideals, feasible ideals, but our approach is off one way or another, you know? And Or sometimes it's our ideal is off. But either way, the root of it is expectations, and unmet expectations lead to resentment, right? It's really easy to get mad and upset when uh, that when your enterprise didn't work out the way you thought it did, mm-hmm. right? Really easy, really, really easy, you know? And so being able to do things with minimum expectations, what happens, happens, right? But trusting that... Uh, everything's going to be all right is good. At least then, you know, you know, like, okay, so that didn't work out. How can I improve it? Or do I need to get rid of it? You know, some of y'all got enterprises that you need to let go of that have never been profitable for you. Let go of it, you know, Um, and focus more of your energy 
prioritizing on the things that are going to generate more money for you or the things that already are. Give energy to what works. Stop giving energy to the things that don't work, especially if it's just you. Unless you got someone else who can give that positive energy and find a good, better way, a better approach to doing something, to making it profitable, get rid of it. You can you can come back to it later, right? Always come back to it later. But for now, get rid of it till you get to a point in your other enterprises where they're more self-sustaining, self-efficient, and then you can start fine-tuning and tweaking uh, some of the mistakes you made with the other enterprises that failed. Um, so that would be my those, those are my thoughts. You know, take it or leave it, but keep it on the table nonetheless. Oh yeah, no, I like it, man. This isn't just farming advice. This is life advice, man. I love it. That's awesome. Uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, just rip those labels off and maybe one day we can get to a place where we go to a grocery store and we have like, I don't know, there's some pork chops and it just says pork chops. That's it. It doesn't stay like <laughs> humanely raised, no antibiotics or no hormones or anything. It just says good old pork chops. That's it. That'd be easier for the consumer. I mean, they wouldn't have to worry about what they're eating. There would be so much misinformation and other crap out there. I mean, it'd just be simple. Maybe like the olden times, I guess. Yeah, unfortunately, we don't live in that world because, you know, we got we have people who want to utilize trends as a way of marketing. And there's not really a whole lot of control. So like uh, a good example is the word heritage. Got Mm. a lot of people throwing out that word, but it's not a protected word. So anyone can use it. You got companies that are using heritage on with livestock that aren't deemed heritage livestock you know you got local small farmers that are using the word heritage for livestock that's not actually heritage you know so yeah i'm just gonna gonna put that out there Um, (laughs) but you know the good thing about it is this is why it's so more important that um we have more direct relationships with our consumers you only really need labeling when you when the consumer doesn't know who you are, right? So if you're doing like a farmer's market, it's always nice to have pretty signs, pretty stands, pretty presentation of your farm. Get Just real quick, I just want to touch on this real quick. <laughs> I better not see you out there with just coolers and a white table. Oh my goodness. No judgment, but like we can do better. In have some branding. Ways. You know, put, go, buy that, go buy that country... Country cloth, checker, checker cloth, put that over that table. Come on now. You can even get a, a, a piece of a paper print sign. You don't even need a nice fancy sign. You can just print off a sign and, and stick it, slap, slap a sticker on it and keep it on the table. You know, be creative. If you don't have that creativity, then, uh, you know, go find people in your family or people in your network that are creative and can give you a couple of tips and just execute those things. We can do better, y'all. We do not gotta look like we we are poor, right? Now, granted, lot, lot, hey, we are poor in a lot of ways, especially in farming. <laughs> but you don't gotta look poor, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um. But yeah. Anyways, but going back to you know having that consumer relationship, it's so important. That's more important than than any label. And so labels are a good way of maybe enticing people towards you but not necessarily keeping you, keeping mm. them to you, right? So we're not worried about attraction as much as we're worried about retention. So many farmers are trying to attract everybody, but they're not really doing a good job retaining everybody because you can't, right? But focusing on a targeted audience 
that's going to have more of an interest, more of a buy-in to what you're doing and selling them a quality product, no matter what your product is, uh, in this case, pork, um, is really going to be to your best advantage. And, you know, one thing I get uh, a lot in my DMs and in my emails from farmers is, you know, what kind of pig should I get? And it, I get a lot of those. And I always say, well, it depends. What's your market? Should you even get pig? What, what, what's your market like? What does your mm-hmm. market want? Does your market want fattier pork? Does your market want whole hog barbecue? Does your market want cachouterie? What does your market want? And some of these people get pigs without even an inkling of a strategy as to what their consumers or potential consumers even want. And they end up getting the wrong breeds or mm. uh, the, the wrong production practices, um, the wrong grow out rates to be able to meet their clients' needs. And so before you even get animals, before you even get pigs, think about what your audience needs. Who is your audience? How many different audiences do you have? You know, the Muslims are, and Jews are probably not going to buy your pork, all right? So <laughs> automatically, you know, that's probably not going to work. But I will say that uh, I have a lot of friends uh, who do sell to Muslims and Jews, not pork, but lamb and goats. Oh, okay. And they actually, for a lot of, especially with the Muslim community, they'll sell them live, right? Hmm. Oh, I ain't got to worry about processing no more because people are buying live animals. Say, what? That's you know? a win. So, yeah, exactly. But it's about like understanding you live it with different cultures. It's not mm-hmm. just the American culture, right? There are so many other cultures within our communities, within our state, within our region that play a role in our food system. So if you can find ways of tapping into every single culture or a couple of cultures, different cultures, other than the American culture that only wants bacon, that only wants bacon. And if you're out of bacon, they're not going to buy anything else from Mm -hmm. you or only wants pork chops, you know, but cultures that appreciate more sausage, like Bratwurst. So I'm going to Wisconsin to um, uh, go visit my friend, Nolan Warwick, uh, my best friend. Um, He uh, operates Wooly Pig Pastures. I'm out there in Jim's Fall, Wisconsin, and, uh, you know, he lives in an area that's, that has a lot of German influence. So, mm. you know, they're going to love linked sausages. You know, oh, yeah. Gonna, you know, they're going to love that, right? Sausage game is, okay, quick pro tip with, with Big Farming. <laughs> <laughs> Have a good sausage game, right? You know, ham steaks might not work. You know, some certain, certain cuts of pork might not work. But people love sausages, mm-hmm. right? Whether or ground pork, have a good sausage game. If you have a good sausage game, you're going to be fine, right? Be and start seeing like, okay, well, these cuts didn't work. I want to turn it to sausage, right? Or, or if you have a processor that can turn it into bacon, even better. There you go. You know? um, so you got some of these people, a processor that will turn um, loins, uh, parts of the, which basically be like your pork chop, they can actually turn that into bacon and do thin slices of that. And really? let me tell y'all, that's still bacon. The jaw, that's still bacon. People love things that say bacon on it. So find as many ways of making bacon from your pigs as possible, and people will buy it because it <laughs> says bacon on it, right? You know, again, quick pro tip on, on just marketing a little bit of pork. And I could do a whole 10-hour session on that. Uh, but yeah, I, I want to get back to you in case you had another question. No, no, that's good. I didn't know that. Uh, so... What do you think about turkey bacon? Are you, are you a fan of it or no? Because, I mean, it's not technically bacon. Sure, it's healthier, but it doesn't taste nearly as good, and it's not technically bacon. 
<laughs> so uh, I, I I challenge that that thought of healthier. Mm, yeah, because really? you mentioned healthier, and uh, not not to not to um, uh, uh, call you out on your own podcast. <laughs> no, um, no, no, no. Let me know. But uh, I challenge that because you know, and this goes back to me going through my own health journey. Um, what's healthy for someone might not be healthy for someone else, right? And can so you can really, you can you say that again for the people in the back? Because I agree with that a hundred and ten percent. Hell yeah. What's healthy for you might not be healthy for someone else. And mm-hmm. what's healthy for someone else might not be healthy for you. Right? We, we, we're, I know we're all humans and we our DNA is very, very alike despite how different we turn out. But we have a lot of different genetics. We have a lot of different forms of metabolisms, um, you know, or, or metabolizations rates. Uh, and so, you know, some are predisposed to being better in a keto diet versus a carnivore diet versus some some people do really well on a grain on a bread bread diet i wish i was one of those i'm not i'm not <laughs> i get a gut and i get inflammation when i eat grain so you know i had to cut it out and that's okay because that wasn't working for me right but for other people it's not really that big of a problem for them you know, they can still keep off weight. They can not experience inflammation like I do. So I'm not going to sit here and say that, oh, well, this works for me. So this is this is the only way. Again, going back to this idealism and thinking that your way is the only way, that's pride. Mm-hmm. So if, you, if you're doing that, that's prideful. This is why I have a problem with vegans, a lot of vegans, not all vegans. I'm okay with the vegan diet. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with it. You know, because I truly do believe that for some people, that diet works for them, right? But I, it doesn't work for everybody. And that's, mm-hmm. that's part of the issue is you got a lot of vegans and no offense to vegans, but take offense. Um, but you got a lot of vegans that are just like, well, this is the only way and this is the best way and, and this and that. And, and, and they're sitting on this, this self-righteous moralism and and. and no one can relate to that, right? Because you're not being a human anymore. You're trying to be a god, right? And there's a difference between being a human and being a god. When people have to now live up to your expectations and your standards, that's being god. That's mm-hmm. pride, right? But when you can say, you know what? That works for you. That's cool. I'm not even going to bash that, right? With veganism, I don't bash the diet. I bash the attitudes towards other people who are not vegan. Yeah, you know that are that that vegans are, are attacking or talking about, you know, and so being able to understand that your way is not always the right way is important. It is important, you know. So yeah, so yeah, so yeah. I like it. I like yeah. I mean, sometimes the paleo diet might work for you. Some it might not work for somebody else. The vegan diet might work for somebody. It might not work for somebody else. I mean. We all have different needs. We all have different digestive systems, different food allergies. Like, I don't eat onions. I don't mind them, but I, I can't eat them. But I'm not going to tell a friend of mine, like, hey, don't eat onions. They're bad for you. I mean, we're all different. <laughs> We've all got that. our... Oh, yeah. Onions. You like onions? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> hey, there you go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's just so weird how every... Not everybody, but a lot of people that are on these fad diets or something, they think they're experts on it when they are... They've just been on it for a few months. But... Mm-hmm. I don't know. I feel like hopefully we'll kind of get out of that stage, but I feel like that's something that's always been around. I mean, like with the Atkins, the Atkins diet that came out years ago, there were people that were swearing by it. Then some people would try it. It wouldn't be good for them. So 
It's just one of those things. But yeah, it's crazy, man. I, I, I like what you're saying, though. I like what you're saying. So yeah, well, man, we've almost gone an hour. I feel like we've talked about all things pork. This has been awesome. Just kind of your time in in Africa, all things pork, what people are doing, what regenerative farming is. If if somebody's a pork farmer and they want to get a hold of you and they want to see what you're doing, where can they go to follow you? Yeah, good good question. Thank you for the plug. Um, oh yeah, I so, gotta plug you. Yeah, so um, you can find me through a lot of different means. Uh, definitely check me out on Instagram. Uh, I actually took a year and a half off of Instagram to go work on myself, disconnect from Pork Rind, the brand, so that way I could um, be more secure in Ryan Curitan, my actual identity, um, than in Pork Rind as my identity. So now that I'm coming back to Pork Rind on Instagram, I have a completely different perspective. Um, I'm going to treat this more like a calling and a ministry. Uh, I'm going to treat this more like me not making it about myself, but making it about how can I do the best to educate other pig farmers. Honestly, I'm doing a pretty good job, but I would be even better. Uh, so I just got back on uh, this week. And so looking forward to making more content. So definitely check me out at pork.ryan on Instagram. Uh, pretty sure you got some friends who are already following me. Um, mm-hmm. So it shouldn't be that hard to find, uh, but pork, as it's spelled, dot Ryan, R-H-Y-N-E, um, and you'll be able to find me there. If you want to shoot an email to me, uh, you can shoot an email to me at Ryan, R-H-Y-N-E, at pork, Ryan, R-H-Y-N-E, dot com. Uh, you can shoot me an email there. And uh, yeah, I'm also uh, appear on YouTube. I do work with a, a livestock conservancy, and so um, I I run their uh, marketing Mondays, which we do uh, at the end of every month uh, for heritage breeds. How do you market heritage breeds? Mm-hmm. Um, so you know, I did a whole pig month um, with them, and we called it our swine chats. So definitely check that out on YouTube and Facebook. Go to livestock conservancy on YouTube or Facebook and and check those out uh, for swine chats. And we got other species chats as well. Um, so far this year, we've done swine, we've done chickens, we've done rabbits. Um, not this month, the next month, we're going to do cattle. Um, and so, yeah, we're excited to be able to create more content. Oh, we also did turkeys and geese. Check that back. Nice. We've done more than that. Yeah, we, okay. we're, we're getting all the species. <laughs> um, so definitely check that out. And uh, you'll definitely see me on some of those. So that's another way that you can get a little bit about me. Oh, also, um, I've been featured on uh, Perma Pasture Farms. Uh, so Billy, Billy and his family, uh, I've been on with them a couple of times, mm. and they're doing a lot of cool things in permaculture. So definitely check them out as well. Heck yeah, and yeah, I follow you on Instagram. I think I followed you like two months ago, and I had I saw your video either yesterday or the day before, and I had no clue you were off for a year because I would keep seeing your posts. I was like, wait, what? Like, all right, so I'm excited to see your new stuff, man. Where you're going with it? We're gonna go with the page. So that's super duper exciting. Welcome back to the world of Instagram and and reels and all that crazy stuff that the algorithm's always throwing up. So <laughs> that's always fun. Well, Ryan, this has been awesome, man. We'll have to touch base soon. I feel like we could go for another two or three hours, like you were saying earlier. But um, mm-hmm. we'll have to talk pork and everything later on. But best of luck. Appreciate all you're doing and learned a lot from you. Thank you, buddy. Appreciate you too, Trev. Again, thanks so much for listening to episode 104 with Pork Ryan. 
Uh, this is an hour-long episode, so thank you so much um, for listening to the whole thing. This is kind of like one of those Marvel post-credit scenes, I guess. <laughs> um, so if you would like, feel free to join our email list, which is down below in the description of this episode, and you will get really neat information on stuff we're working on, like t-shirts, hats, and even a new subscription box thing that we're going to work on. It's going to be quarterly, probably, and the first one we're going to work on is going to be local honey companies. So if you are interested in that, or maybe you might be a honey producer and you'd like to work with us, feel free to email me. A good email is farmtravelerseries at gmail.com, or you can join our email list and you'll get all the updates for that. Also, feel free to share this episode with a family member or a friend that you think might learn a thing or two about pork. Um, that helps us out a ton. So thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.